Yeah, yeah sure, it's up. Yeah, that's, that's right. Let's make yeah. it happen, Captain. Yeah, it should be like that, not the other way. I think that's okay, okay? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Jason's done this many times. Yeah. And, you, and you stopped it from doing a vibration dance? Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, Saul, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, but he's the one that begged. <laughs> I'll have to take that out. Um, all right, we're on page 61. This is part two of our second series in the Being a Man series that we began. Last, uh, the last series that we did was the seven traits of being a man. And we went through the seven traits of what it takes to be a man. And we're resuming with that. And I thought, as I mentioned last week, I thought it would be appropriate after we went through with the basic definitions of what it takes to be a man to actually go through and follow the story that the Torah delineates of one of the quintessential men in world history, the life of Abraham, Avram Avinu, the father of humanity, really, uh, the father of literally humanity when it comes to what life is about and why we are in this world. And we gave a definition of a man when we did the seven traits. Anyone who was weird, does anyone remember the definition of a man? Not the seven traits, but the definition of Someone a man. Someone who accepts responsibility. Ooh, it was a, that was excellent. The definition of a man, 50%, is someone who takes responsibility. That's the definition of a man. If you think about it, in every aspect of life, when you hear the colloquial saying, stand up, be a man, right? don't be a wimp, be a man, what they're saying is, take responsibility, take responsibility, but that's only half the definition. One of the stories that we're going to delve into tonight is actually going to give us the other half of the response of the definition of a man. We said that the definition of a man is someone who takes responsibility and does everything in his power to see to it that it gets done. It's not just take responsibility. It's now do everything within your power everything within your power to see to it that it gets done. Now one of the definitions of being a man that we're going to speak about tonight is there's no such thing as quitting. Quitting is not an option for a man. When it comes to being a man, quitting is not an option. That is not an option. There's no such thing. And we're going to see that in tonight's story. Now, we're obviously not going to be able to delve into every aspect of Abraham's life. If you guys wanted to do that, we, we're more than welcome to at another time in Juncture, but that's certainly not the scope of this series, because that would really take a lot of time and depth in each and every line, because there's so much and there are so many different aspects of his life. We're not dealing with that. We're dealing with major events in his life that bring out this idea of being a man. We started with last week the introduction. Abraham was told to leave. Abraham has left his homeland and he was supposed to embark on a journey to quote unquote the promised land. That was what the story began with. He was supposed to embark on that journey and go to the promised land that God told him. However, a few bumps in the road as he journeyed. When he got on the way, the first thing that happened to him when he got there was that there was a tremendous famine in the land. And he wasn't even able to stay. There was a tremendous famine, and he wasn't even able to stay, and he had to leave. He gets to the land that God promised him. It's no good. And he has to leave. Situation's bad. He has to leave. He goes to Egypt. Things do not go well in Egypt. As we know, things never seem to go well for the Jews in Egypt. It started all the way back then. Things do not go well for him in Egypt. But, interestingly enough, comes out when he leaves Egypt, he leaves a very wealthy man. Things don't go well for him there, but when he leaves, he leaves a very wealthy, powerful man. 
he gets into a little bit of debate because he's so wealthy and powerful that he gets into a little bit of debate. This introduction is necessary for our story. He gets into a little bit of a debate with his nephew. His nephew realizes Abraham's getting old. He's got no children. Very wealthy man. Someone's going to have to take over the empire one day. Most likely, who's it going to be? Me. <laughs> it's all going to be mine one day. I'm the only family member he's got here. It's him, his wife, and me. And a concubine. We'll speak about her maybe later. But that's it. There's no children. Huh? There's no children. It's just Lot. It's just Abraham and Lot. So he's, this is all going to be mine one day. Well, he gets a little brazen with that, and he starts telling his workers and his slaves and his whole community that it's all going to be ours one day. So Abraham realizes, all right, this isn't working out too well. <laughs> we need to split. You go to the left, I go to the right. I go to the left, you go to the right. Whichever way you want to go, you pick. I'm not going to tell you. Whichever way you want to pick, you pick. And I will always be there for you. Abraham actually gives him his word. I will always be there. That's very important for our story tonight. Abraham actually makes a vow that if you ever need me, I will be there. That leads us to our story, chapter 14. We're going to read the story. Again, we will not have the time to exhaust all the details of this story and all the nuances. We're just going to try and pull out a few points that have to do with our topic and our theme. And uh, forgive me, I know it is very, very hot in the room. Um, in about one minute, I'll, I'll take a two-second break and see if the rabbis here will open that up and get some air going. It happened in the days of Imraphel. We're on chapter, we're on chapter 14, page 61. Chapter 14, the big A. We will not be reading below. We will only be reading half the page. So if you get lost as I turn the pages, that's why. And it happened, not for you. And it happened in the days of Imraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Elasar, Cherdolaomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goyim. These kings, that these made war on Bera, king of Sodom, Birsha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, Shem Aver, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, which is Zoar. The very first world war. Everybody loves a war story. We're getting a war story tonight. An all-out world war. We're talking five kings versus four kings. I mean, that's major. That's countries we're talking in that time of the world. We're talking a major world war. And all these had joined at the Valley of Sidim. This is like, you know, you can see those old movies. What was that one with uh, Mel Gibson where they meet out there in the field and they just come out and just killing everybody? Braveheart. That's the thing you go. You got four kings on one side, five on the other in this big valley. Oh, no, come on in. Woo! Right? If you want, go quickly grab, uh, grab two Chumashim. Uh, you know where they are? Yeah, go all the way, make a left, and then a right. Okay? And uh, so they're out there in the valley with this huge war. Now, 12 years they had served Cher de la Omer. 12 years they had served this king, and they rebelled for 13 years. And it was in the 14th year that Cher de la Omer and the kings who were with him came and struck the Rephaim, Ashtarit, Kanaim, the Zuzim and Ham. Oh, I know all these names are weird. The Amim and Shavah Kiriathayim, and the Horites in the mountains of Seir, as far as the plain of Paran, which is by the desert. And then they turned back, and they came to Ein Mishpat, which is Kadesh, and they struck all the territory of the Amalekites, and also the Amorites who dwell in Chazazah and Tamar. And the king of Sidon went forth with the king of Gomorrah. And the battle ensues with the king of Adma and the king of Zeboim and the king of Bela, which is Zoar, and engaged them in battle in the valley of Sidim, with Cherdolaimer, king of Elam, Tida, king of Goyim, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Arya, king of Elasar. Four kings against five. Massive war. And the valley of Sidim was full of Bidimum wells. The king of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell into them. They fell into these pits, while the rest of their people fled to the mountain. And they seized all the wealth of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food, and they departed. And they captured Lot and his possessions, Avram's nephew, and they left. For he was residing in Sodom. They kidnapped Lot after the war. And then came a fugitive and told Avram, the Ivri, 
that's where we get Hebrew from, who dwelt in the plains of Mamre, the Amorite, the brother of Eshkol, and the brother of Aner, these being Avram's allies. And when Avram heard that his kinsman, his nephew, was taken captive, he armed his disciples who had been born in his house, 318. 318 men. That's it. There's actually one opinion that it's not even 318. We'll deal with that perhaps if we have some time. But even if it is 318, that's not a lot of people going up against four kings. And he pursued them as far as Don. Huh? It's like Sparta. It's like Sparta, yeah. <laughs> yep, then, except the different outcome, though. They didn't win in that one. And he, with his servants, deployed against them at night and struck them. He pursued them as far as Chayva, which is to the north of Damascus. And he brought back all the possessions. And he also brought back his kinsmen, Lot with his possessions, as well as the women and the people. That's all we're going to do for tonight. We're not going to read the rest of the story. The rest of the story is there's this whole celebration with the kings. But let's just recap the story here. You see that there's this massive world war, four kings versus five kings. And at the end of this war, for some reason, the only thing that's mentioned is Lot is kidnapped. Lot's taken. Abraham finds out, and his name is not Abraham yet, but for our discussion, we'll just keep calling him Abraham. His name is still Avram. I don't know if that'll be one of our classes, why his name gets changed. I don't know if we'll touch on that. But regardless, Abraham finds out that his nephew has been kidnapped, and Abraham takes up 318 men, and he goes and he fights the war to save his nephew. An unbelievable story. Now, there's a few things that we're going to speak about. The first one is, is first and foremost, what was the whole war about? What was this whole war about? That's the first question we're going to deal with. Now, that's not necessarily going to be connected directly, but indirectly to our discussion of what it means to be a man. The second thing we're going to discuss is Abraham's role. Abraham's role. Why is it that Abraham got involved? Again, because of his nephew. But why was his nephew kidnapped? And third, there's an unbelievable medrash that gives an insight, a little additional detail to this story. And the additional detail is, obviously, 318 men go out against four kings. Massive armies. Massive armies. They're going to run out of ammunition at some point. <laughs> They're going to run out of bows and arrows. I mean, there's not that many of them. Even if they have swords, like, a sword breaks eventually, gets stuck in a guy. You can't get it out. And the guy's coming. Something. You're not going to run out. Eventually, they ran out of weapons. And it says the reason they were able to win, and yes, it's miraculous, and the last story we had was miraculous, but okay, whether you believe the miracles, you don't believe the miracles, there's a point that's being taught, and that's what's going to be our topic. Abraham and his men started picking up dirt and rocks and started throwing the dirt and the rocks at the oncoming soldiers. And the Medrash says that the dirt and the rock turned into arrows. And that's how they were able to kill. Everyone knows that story. The dirt and the rocks, they were throwing, and it turned into arrows, and that's how they were able to kill the soldiers. That's how they were able to kill the soldiers. I'm going to show you something very interesting. You know, you have to think about Abraham is deciding to go to this world war. It's a suicide mission, isn't it? It's a suicide mission. 318 men versus these kings. Hey, I think you mentioned Sparta, right? So when they, didn't, they, they knew they were going to lose. Didn't they know they were going to lose? No, they, they, but they, 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 to fight for the glory of Sparta. They knew they were going to lose against the Persians, but the fight for the glory of Sparta, they're going to go down and... That's ridiculous. Judaism says that's nonsense. <laughs> that's just sheer nonsense. You want to know the proof of that? Huh? It's, it's, it's nonsense. Well, I, can't, I can't say that because I'm on tape now. That wasn't the rabbi. <laughs> right? No, this whole... This, you know, chivalry. You know what they call They call that chivalry. Now, we associate chivalry with... With, you know, with dying for a woman, etc. But the chivalry is dying so that everyone thinks you're a man. Judaism says dying so everyone thinks you're a man is ludicrous. Nonsense. Sheer nonsense. The proof of that is, is remember I told you that Abraham went down to Egypt and things didn't go well for him? 
One of the things that went really bad for him was his wife was kidnapped. <laughs> his wife was kidnapped. And when he got there, he said to his wife, you know, when they see how beautiful you are, they're going to say, oh, she's beautiful. She's married. That's a problem. All right, kill Abraham. She's not married anymore. They had this bizarre rule. Well, murder, we just won't sleep with a married woman. Not a problem. Get rid of the husband. She's no longer married. <laughs> we don't have a problem with murder. We got a problem with the married woman thing. We don't have a problem with murder. <laughs> well, you never know. You sleep with the married woman, the husband might come and kill you. We don't like that. So get rid of the husband. No problem. So Abraham says, tell everyone you're my sister. So they don't kill me. Tell everyone you're my sister so they don't kill me. So when it comes to his wife, when it comes to his wife, he doesn't go out with the sword and say, you touch her and I'll kill you. When it comes to saving his nephew, oh, my nephew's kidnapped. What does he do? He goes out for war on a suicide mission. Aren't they both suicide missions? When he got to Egypt, when he got to Egypt, and they went, came to take his wife, and if he stood up and said, she's my wife, you can't touch her, what would they have done? Killed him. So if he draws his sword and says, I'll stand by her and fight to the death. Suicide mission, right? You know what Judaism says about that? Ludicrous. You don't do that. You don't go on a suicide mission so everyone thinks you're a man. That's nonsense. That's chivalry. That's ridiculous. But here, he goes on a suicide mission. How come? Why is here, is he allowed to go on the suicide mission and over there? You don't, what? He made a promise. Made a promise. Made a promise. You see, you keep your word. That's the right thing. Keeping your word is the right thing. If you tell someone, if you give your word, if you take a vow, well now, your word's on the line. You break your word? That's, that's what we call that a chilashem. We call that someone that has no value. For value, you stand up for your life. You'd be willing to give your life. Abraham knew he was going on a suicide mission. Abraham knew he was going on a suicide mission, and yet he fought it anyway. Why? Because I gave my word. I gave my word. That I said, if he ever needs me, I will come to his side. So because I gave my word, I have to go out. Now he's going out on a suicide mission, so what does he do? If, God forbid, you had to put yourself in a situation that you knew, there's no hope. I'm not going to win. There's nothing I can do. It's not going to be successful. What do you do? Quick question. Yeah. This is before he had the Yitzchak, right? Way before. Way before. Okay. So, I mean, did he know at this point that no, he the fate of humanity was up to him and his, his no. lineage? He did not know? No. Never mind. Okay. No, it's up to him. It's up to him, not necessarily his lineage. Okay. All right, so what are we saying here? Abraham realizes that he's going out to fight a war that he knows he's going to lose. Just like last week, remember we said, what was going through Abraham's mind when he was going in the pit of fire? He's going to die. He was not sitting there going, oh, a miracle happened, I'm going to get saved. He has to be real. One thing I've said to anybody I've ever learned Torah with and anything else, you have to make the stories real. Abraham realizes this is a suicide mission. But he has no choice. He has to try. He has to try. I have to try and save my nephew. I gave him my word. So what does he do? All right, we'll grab a sword. We'll grab a bow and arrow. We'll grab a shield. How much can he carry? He's not going to grab 500 swords. He's going to carry whatever he can carry. And then he's going to go out to war. And what's he going to do? He's going to try everything he can. All right, I ran out of bow and arrow. I ran out of my sword. Now what? Now what do I do? Hit people, Hit people with the shield. Exactly. All right, I'm hitting people with the shield. The shield breaks. Now I have no shield. Now what? Take somebody else's shield. Grab somebody else's shield. No, he's thinking. That's good. I grab somebody else's shield. Now what? Nobody else's shield's here. And there's 500 people charging down the hillside there. Throw dirt. Pick up dirt and start throwing dirt. You when pick up dirt and you start throwing dirt. Because why? There's no such thing as quitting. There's no such thing as quitting. That's what that story is trying to teach us. 
Anyways, I, I know you guys, it's on tape now, but movies, this will get out there somewhere, they'll be like, Rabbi, movie. But if you see, there's some tremendous scenes that really give this point. You see, like, the, the Saving Private Ryan, anyone here see that movie? There's two scenes that are just incredible, that really bring this point home. Tom Hanks's character, at the end of the movie, he's sitting on the bridge, he's been shot several times, he's dying, a plane is shooting at him, and what does he do? He puts his bomb. No, he takes out his pistol. He starts shooting a pistol at a plane shooting at him, and then throws the pistol. Why? Because there's no such thing as giving up. The man's dying. He knows he's dead. Doesn't matter. The definition of a man is we take responsibility and do everything in your power no matter what. And there's no such thing as quitting. Because all of life, all of life, is not a plane shooting at us. It's not a war with five kings against four kings, but you know what it is? It is a battle. There's a constant battle in our lives. There's a constant battle where we are constantly being told somewhere deep inside to just give up. Quit. All right, you tried everything you can now. All right, it's not going to work. Yeah. I have a question. If it's backtracking or if it's taking it off the topic, you don't have to answer it right now. How do you know what, how do you, I guess, figure out for the things that aren't obvious what you're responsible for? Yeah, that's, look. Does that make sense? No, no, no. It's a great question. It obviously is, it's not backtracking. It's not off topic. It's, it's kind of a, a subtopic of what we're discussing. I mean, if we're talking about taking on responsibility, being a man, then obviously what we're discussing is that's the other one and it's locked yeah. oh thanks um, obviously if we're discussing that the definition of being a man is taking responsibility and seeing to it with, with all of your power and anything possible within your control that you do to, to do that obviously you gotta know well what is it that you're supposed to take responsibility yeah. for well within the context of Judaism what did we say the definition of a man is? Taking responsibility for? Changing the world. Changing the world. That is going to be the next story that we do. That's going to be the next story of Abraham. You take responsibility for the world. That's the definition of a man. The definition of a man is taking responsibility for the world. And the reality is, is every man does that. Within the context of his world. Whether his world is this small or his world is this small, it doesn't matter. The essence of being a man is taking responsibility for the world. Well, how do you realize if it's, okay, my world is just my family, or my world is also hunger in Rwanda? Or, you know? Like, how do you determine oh. what, what, what is... That's the, the second world? part of this story. That's the second part of the story. The second part of the story is realizing... Uh, hold that question for a moment. All right. All right. Uh, it, it's just making it's all right. It's, it's all right. Thanks, though. Yeah. It's got a nice right. breeze coming in from it. Thanks. <laughs> if you find someone with the actual key, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> but don't worry about it. That'll be more distracting than the heat. Um, all right, Margaret. Unless you have the key, don't worry about it. You taught me once how to open up locks. <laughs> Rabbi, what is this about? Previous life. All right. Look at that. Open windows. That, yeah. There we go. Just open it up. Yeah, just push the button down. We'll put the mode. Mode, yeah, it's at the mode, right? I don't think so. I think you just push the button down. 70 degrees, is that what it? 69. <laughs> it's only A4. A lot of people in the room. I didn't hear anything kick on. Oh, I feel it. Yeah, you can close the door now. That's great. I'll remember to turn it off. Oh, thank you very much, Rabbi Markman. Thank you. I'm going to lock it. Nah, Rabbi Cohen usually leaves it open for me so I can turn it off. And then someone locks it tomorrow. Yeah.
<laughs> yeah, you can close the door. Thank you. Now you're here to say what you want to say. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We're going we're gonna to touch on that. We're going to touch on that. All right. Put that away. Someone has to listen to this. This is comical. Did I? Did I, did I am I recording? Okay. I think so. Yeah, I'm recording. All right. All right. We're we're gonna touch on that. Hold hold that point. Hold that point. Because how do you decide what is it that you're supposed to take responsibility for? But I have to. You have to agree though that that is the truth. That every man takes responsibility. The definition of someone's being a man. There's plenty of men that are being that are being the opposite of men. The opposite of being a man is basically being a wimp, is, is hiding from responsibility, shirking responsibility for whatever reason. Sometimes we're just scared of the responsibility. Sometimes we're scared of failing our responsibilities. Sometimes we're just scared of, of the, making the decisions, whatever it is. But there are plenty of men that are not taking responsibility. But every man that does take responsibility is taking responsibility for his world. Now, his world is whatever his world is. If you're married, then your world is you and your wife. If you're married with children, then your world is you, your wife, and your children. If you're a single guy, your world is your world, your job, your career, your bills. Every man has his world. To the extent that you, large and, you enlarge in the sphere of that world, then you're taking on more responsibility. We're gonna, and the essence of Judaism, the essence of, of a Jewish understanding of what it means to be a man is to take responsibility for the entire world. That is the responsibility that we should be putting on our shoulders, taking responsibility for the entire world. And to go back, because the thing that is constantly, constantly weighing on us is the desire to quit. The desire to quit. Now, I said that we're not fighting a war, but the reality is, is that we are. Every one of us fights a war from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to sleep. And that war could be as simple as, do I get out of bed and live and embrace life? Or it could be as profound as, do I take my job as a husband seriously? Do I take my job as a father seriously? Or do I just, all right, look, I'm paying the bills. You know, I, I, I'm doing what I'm supposed to. I pay the bills. I, I send them to school. That's a, what more do you want me to do? What more do you want me to do? I do everything I'm supposed to do. I took the sword. I took the bow and arrow. I took the shield. I ran out of them. What more do you want me to do? Well, pick up some dirt and throw it. You got dirt. <laughs> what do you mean? What more do you want him to do? Whatever you can. We tried this. We tried that. We tried. We spoke. We went to therapy. Whatever your scenario is. I spoke to the boss. It didn't work. I... I changed majors. I, you know, I did what I should. I tried. What more do you want me to do? What do you mean? What? Pick up some dirt and throw it. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes because we are constantly in that war. We are constantly in that war. Look at this war. Think about this. This is Rizar. Four kings versus five kings. Okay? Four kings versus five kings. Now, if you knew no details and you had to put a wager down, how much would you bet, and on which side? Four kings versus five kings. Bet on the five. You'd bet on the five, until you read a little bit of the details. The four kings, right? Imraphel, Arioch, Cherdelimer, and Tidal, have been ruling the world for the last 13 years. For the last 12 years. For the last 12 years, they've been ruling the world. And then, for the next 13 years, the five kings have been trying to get out of this, you know, united uh, empire, emirate state, right? The Soviet Union, the em Arab Emirate world, whatever you want to call it. I'm just making up some names here. But, the, but it, was a, it was a conglomerate of kings. And for those 12 years, one king ruled the conglomerate. And then for 13 years, those five kings have been trying to get out of the conglomerate unsuccessfully all right now who are you betting on four kings have been ruling with no problem for 12 years and for 13 years they've been trying to get out unsuccessfully every time a revolt comes it's squelched every time a campaign a march on congress comes it's squelched every time they get a petition going they just they the petitioners seem to disappear for 13 years squelched 
The rebellion has been squelched. Now who are you betting on? Four kings versus the five kings. Who's, who's your money on? Four. The four kings. These five kings don't have a shot. And as a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, in the 14th year, they finally rise up and start a war. They finally fight a war. And look what it says. Literally, it says they were crushed. <laughs> they were crushed like that. If you read the words, look at, look at page 63. And in the 14th year, finally in the 14th year, Cherdelaimer comes. Not even the other kings. The king that's in charge finally says after 14 years, all right, enough of this nonsense. <laughs> they come and they strike the Rephaim at Ashtar Kanayim, the Zuzi Micham, and the Horites as far as the plain of Paran, which is by the desert. They just plow all the way through. Lump. <laughs> Wipe them out all the way to the desert. They just plowed right through as if it was nothing. And then, so the first question you have to ask is, why the war all of a sudden? Why the war all of a sudden? For 12 years, there's been ruling with no problems. For 13 years, they've been rebelling, and nothing's ever happened with that rebellion. And for the 14th year, finally the king says, all right, enough of this. Let's wipe them out. And they wipe them out, no problem. Well, then all of a sudden, something turns. Then they turn and come back. And they go back. When are they going back? And they go to Ain Mishpat, which is Kadesh. And they strike the whole territory. Why, what, what's going on there? You have to get the image here. These four kings plow through all the territories. They get to the desert. They turn around and go back and stop somewhere on the way. And they start just destroying everything where, where they are. And the king of Sodom goes out with the king of Amorah. And they start fighting with these four kings. And they have a little battle there. And, but they get overturned immediately. They, so much so that the, the, the nations flee to the mountains. The two kings fall in a pit and get forgotten about. And the four kings that are wiping everything out seize Lot. They kidnap Lot. That's like out of left field. Out of left field. What's with Lot? And what are they, what's with the going back? And if you read Rashi and the commentators, they all say the same thing. One of the four kings was an interesting little man by the name of Nimrod. Anyone remember him from last week? Nimrod was the king. No one remembers him from last week? Well, you weren't here, John. You have an excuse. <laughs> Nimrod was the king that threw Abraham into the fire. Remember, Nimrod wasn't too happy with Abraham. Nimrod's the one that threw Abraham in the fire. And sure enough, what happened? He lived. Well, Nimrod could not have been too happy about that. That's a big blow to the ego. And Nimrod throw him out of the country. Abraham leaves and they go away. And, but Nimrod's got to be burning up about that. And we didn't speak about it, but Abraham goes on and becomes a powerful, powerful man. Wealthy, very powerful, starts teaching the world about morality. And Nimrod's burning up inside. So Nimrod actually says to Cher de Laimer, the head king, you know what, enough of this. Enough of this rebellion. Enough of this rebellion. It's just a thorn in our side. Let's get rid of this rebellion once and for all. Well, it's been going on for 13 years. What do they care? It's never been an issue. They've never accomplished anything for 13 years of the rebellion. Why all of a sudden in the 14th year, let's get rid of this rebellion? Because Nimrod wants Abraham dead. You ever hear casualty of war? Nimrod can't just go kill Abraham. That would, be, that would just be too much. Everyone would know, first of all, Abraham's an incredibly powerful man. He has God on his side. We saw that in Egypt. You didn't see that with our story, but we saw that in Egypt. Nimrod's got an issue. He wants to kill Abraham, but he can't just go do it. So he comes up with this plot. Oh, let's, let's go to war. Abraham lives in the middle of this country. We'll go to war, and Abraham will accidentally die in war. Casualty of war. And they plow through, and lo and behold, no Abraham. They couldn't find them. So they go back to this place called Ain Mishbat. Anyone speak Hebrew here? Ain Mishbat. No, not Ain. Ain Mishbat. The eye, the, the eye of the court. Who's the eye of the court? John? Abraham. Oh. Abraham is the eye of the court. 
They went back looking for the eye of the court. They're looking for Abraham. They're looking for Abraham. They can't find him. So what does Nimrod do? He gets desperate, and what does he do? Kidnap Lot. Simple. Kidnap Lot. Abraham will come to the rescue. He'll come fight us a war. And now he's attacking us. Now we can easily kill him. He's attacking us. Now we'll kill him. The whole pretext of this war, we don't have the time to speak about it tonight, but throughout history there have been so many world events that are so much a pretext to something else. A facade. Oh, it's about this. It's, when it's about really something else. I mean, so much of the conflict in the world is about oil and money and the Jewish people. It's, it's a fact. Here you have a world war, and it's all about what? Killing Abraham. The whole thing is about to kill Abraham. The whole thing is just to kill Abraham. And why are we being taught that? Because that's the reality of our lives. This is not a class on domination of the, you know, of radical Islam. This is a class on being a man. Your whole life is going to be that. Your whole life is going to be a war that is coming to attack you. And you have to be a man and stand up and fight it. That's the essence of being a man. Standing up and fighting the war. Fighting the fight. If you think about it, is life great? Is it good to be alive? Is it good to be alive? Yeah? It's good to be alive? Yeah. Is it good to be alive? Is it good to be alive? Alright. Is life pleasurable? Yeah? Is life... What? What? Sometimes. Oh. There we go. Someone is real. Someone is real. It's good to be alive, yeah? Is life pleasurable? Not all the time. Not all the time. It's good to be alive? Is life pleasurable? Yeah. It's good to be alive? Is life pleasurable? Sometimes. See? I mean, come on. That's not a Jewish way of living. It's good to be alive. Is life a pleasure? Life's a pleasure. And you want to know what the reality is? You want to know what the reality is? And everyone who's been in any of my classes knows this. You know what the natural state of a human being is? He's sleeping. No. Depression? No. Happiness. And he's only been here one time. You should all be ashamed of yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> the natural state of a human being is sheer ecstasy and joy. You want me to prove it to you? Yes. Amusement park. Go to the amusement park. And watch what happens. Stand outside the roller coaster. And look at the people as they come off the line. After the ride. <laughs> if they're not throwing up. If they're not throwing up, right. right? They're not throwing up. The one, not the ones that are throwing up. Everyone else is coming off what? Giddy as could be. I threw up. <laughs> and then what happens? get real. Then they start walking. And then a block later, they start, all right, what do you want to go on next? Oh, we got to stand in line. Oh, man. Oh, that's at least a 40-minute wait. Oh. <laughs> that's what they revert back to. That's the next. Because, no, because we yes. start focusing on our problems. Instead of focusing on the pleasure, we focus on the problems. You take a look at a child. The natural state of a child is giddy happiness until he realizes that his parent can what do you mean poops in his diaper you have no children that's when they smile the most that's when they smile the most the father tells you yeah oh what's oh he's all happy oh he must have just peed <laughs> and you check yeah it's all warm and fuzzy yeah back in the womb no it's not the womb it's the diaper you change the diaper. Ah! It's like Bill Cosby says, right? It's Bill Cosby, the parent. Oh, that's so cute. You made a little poopy. Oh, yeah, that's so cute. It's so cute. And the kid's laughing. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, that smells. Ah, no. You're the one who teaches the kids to be miserable. They're happy as can be. When are we ecstatic? When we forget about all of our problems. We're miserable when we focus on the problems. The natural state is joy. It's only when we start focusing on the problems that we slip into misery. We'll spend hundreds of dollars to remind ourselves simply 
that we're alive. That's it. We spend hundreds of dollars just to remind us that we're alive. That's why we go on the roller coaster. Yeah, I'm alive. <laughs> I wanted that thrill that I'm almost dead to remind myself that I'm alive. <laughs> I'll jump out of a plane. No! Oh, I'm alive. <laughs> all right, yeah, you can you can unclip now. I'm all right. <laughs> I can do this by myself. <laughs> we spend money to remind ourselves that we're alive. You know what the greatest thrill is? To realize that you're alive and you're in a war because that's the war that we constantly fight. That's the war that's coming to kill us day in and day out and day in and day out coming to kill us. And the wimp just throws in the towel. The man says, I'm going to fight it. But it's a never-winning battle. If you win the battle today, is it going to be back tomorrow? Sure will be. <laughs> so what? So what? You fight it. You pick up the dirt and you throw it. And you do whatever it takes to fight it, to embrace it. You don't need to spend hundreds of dollars to remind yourself you're alive. You're in the midst of it. That's what it means to be a man. And to answer your question, Abraham goes and puts his life on the line. Why does he put his life on the line? He didn't put his life on the line for his wife, but he put his life on the line here. Because here, it was the right thing. It didn't matter what people would say about him. It didn't matter that, oh, people are going to think that I'm brave. No. I gave my word, I keep my word. That's the right thing. It's called Kiddush Hashem. You have to figure out what's the right thing to answer your question. So what do you take responsibility for and fight the fight? Well, you got to ask yourself, what's the right thing? And the way to do that is, as I told you, you're in a war. You're in a war. And what's the war? Your life's on the line. See, any person that hasn't figured out what they're willing to die for has never begun living. If you haven't figured out what you're willing to die for, you haven't begun living. That's not being a man. Being a man is, what am I willing to die for? Now let me fight for it. And I've told you the story, and I'll tell you it again, and then we'll wrap up. Rabbi Weinberg, Noach, that's all. He went and met a man in Haifa. You guys know the story. This man was part of the Lechi. Anyone familiar with the Lechi? The Ergun, Menachem Begin. The Stern Gang, From now, back in the late back, 40s? In, back before the before the founding of the state of Israel, yeah. and the British were in charge. Menachem Begin's group was called the Irgun. It was a split off called the Lechi, and part of that group was subcategory was known as the Stern Gang. The reason they were called the Stern Gang is because of the following: the Lechi said the British are no good. We got to get rid of them at all costs. The British to us are like the Germans. They're no good. You get rid of them at all costs. Which meant, kill them if need be. Just get them out of here. Just get rid of them. Alright? So they had a rule. They had a rule. You had to carry a gun with you at all times. You had to carry a gun with you at all times. Because two reasons. One, you get rid of the, the, the British. Number two, you can't get caught. The British were notorious for capturing and torturing their prisoners to get information. You can't get caught. They'll torture you. They'll give up everything. We'll be done. And sure enough, the British caught a guy, his name was Stern, the British tortured him, and he died. So they called themselves the Stern Gang in honor of him. Well, this gentleman that Reb Noach went to meet lived in Haifa. Fabulously wealthy man. Fabulously wealthy man. He owned houses around the world, he owned a jet, he owned yachts. He owned half the docks in Haifa and several docks in Yaffa. He built a fortune, an empire of import and export in Israel. How? Because when he was in the Stern Gang, he was in the market one day. He was in the Stern Gang for about five years. He was in the Stern Gang, and then one day he was in the market. And in the market, the British closed off. Everyone knows the Shuk, right? The open market in Israel, Machane Yehuda. They have them in every city. I don't know which city this story took place in, maybe Tel Aviv most likely. So he was in the open Shuk, and the Stern Gang had a rule. Now, you don't get into a shootout in, 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 in public, you know, killing civilians. In the, you, you don't do that. So the British said if you were caught with a gun, you're arrested on the spot. So you got, you got a problem here. You're not allowed to get caught, so you carry a gun. And if they catch you with a gun, you've got to kill them because otherwise they're going to capture you. But you can't get into a shootout in public 
So they're going to catch you with the gun. You can't do anything, so they're going to arrest you. So he, they seal off the market. He realizes he's in trouble. There's nothing he can do, so he ditches the gun. Figures, I'll hide the gun. I'll get out. When they clear the market, I'll come back tonight, tomorrow, and I'll find my gun. So he hides his gun. What they didn't realize is that they were looking for him. They knew who he was, and they knew he was in the market, and they were looking for him. So hiding the gun didn't help. So sure enough, they arrested him. They took him, they arrested him, they tortured him to give up information. He lost a leg, they tortured him so bad. He lost a leg. Okay? While they had him captive, the war broke out. When the war broke out, what did the British do? Took off and left. The war broke out, British left, he's left there. War wins, State of Israel is founded. Okay? When the State of Israel was founded, there were two jobs. That's it. There were two jobs in Israel. What were they? Farmer. Either farmer or army. army. Either farmer or the army. That's it. You're either a farmer or the army. Guy couldn't farm. He had one leg. The army didn't want him. He couldn't do anything. So he had no employment. Nothing to do. So what does he do? He says, look, Israel's going to have to become a country in the world. They're going to have to start doing business with other countries. They're going to need docks. So he goes to Haifa and he buys some docks. And he built an empire. Wow. Built an empire. So Reb Noach met with him for a while and he's about to leave. Reb Noach met with him to try and give him so, to get some money for one of his organizations that he started. But as he's leaving, Reb Noach loved used to talk about pleasure and enjoyment of life and life's about pleasure. So he says to him, he says, let me ask you something. I have to ask you. What was the most pleasurable, what was the greatest time of your life? When did you feel that life was the greatest time? And the man said to him, quote, Rabbi, I thought you were a wise man. <laughs> I thought you were a wise man. How could you ask me that question? How could you ask me that question? Those five years when I was in the Stern Gang, my life was on the line for the Jewish people. I could have died at any moment. Any moment I could have died, I was living for the Jewish people. How could anything compare to that? You hear that? Ramnolak said, that's what it means to be alive, and that's what it means to be a man. The first thing you have to ask yourself is, what do I take responsibility for? What am I willing to die for? That's what I take responsibility for. Now that I've taken responsibility for it, everything. Whatever it takes to get it done. Whatever it takes. There's no such thing as quitting. There's no such thing as, look, I tried. What do you want me to do? I did, I did everything I could. I did everything I could. There's, no more, there's nothing more I could do. What do you mean there's nothing more I can do? You pick up some dirt. You pick up some dirt. If we were that, that, that captain, whatever he was, I don't know what he was. If we were that captain in that movie, and we realized it's over, we're not getting the bridge. It's done. I got eight bullets in me. I'm dying. What would we do? Would we pull out the pistol and shoot a few more shots just because there's no such thing as quitting? Or would we just say, I, I tried. Well, what would we do in our own lives? When it comes to our own lives, whether we're married, our children, our own personal relationships with friends, that we said, look, I tried. I tried. What more could I do? What do you mean what more you can do? You can pick up some dirt and throw it. Because the essence of being a man is there's no such thing as quitting. And until you've tried everything, that's quitting. That's quitting. All right. Yeah, John, you had a question. Oh, uh, well, I think you answered one of them, but um, it was do we choose our responsibilities and doesn't happiness or sheer joy require some sort of activity? Like, how do you, I don't know, like, if you could imagine, like, working out or overcoming an obstacle, I mean, that's, you know, one Definitely. Way, yeah, that's one way of, like, acquiring joy or we happiness. Definitely, we definitely, like, the answer to both of those is absolutely yes. We choose our responsibility, which we already have. We've chosen to, we've chosen our responsibility and to take responsibility for the world to the extent that we do that. That's the extent that we... That uh, we live up to our responsibility, and in terms of activity, absolutely, you, a person can't take responsibility by doing nothing. It's just not possible. 
but if a person's you know natural state is ex is is that what we because I mean I, I think I mean is that like the ultimate goal that we're going for happiness or is our actual no. like, our state no. of being state of being is a state of being the goal is not happiness the goal happiness is a function of our goal right everyone remember that from the seven traits one of the traits is happiness is joy you cannot be a man if, if you're not filled with joy. It's not possible. It's not possible. A person who is happy makes a difference in the world. A person who is miserable can only destroy the world. If anything, destroy himself. Depression and, ha and sadness is, is, is a moment of suicide. It is not possible. Joy and happiness is not, a me is not an end, but rather a means to an end. The means to the end is happiness. The end is taking responsibility and changing the world. That's the end. Now, the end, end is why should one take responsibility for changing the world is because the ultimate goal, according to Judaism, is a relationship with Hashem. That's, that's not the scope of this class, but the ultimate goal is to have a relationship with Hashem. And that is certainly what Avram did. Abraham walked in front of God. He, he led God, so to say. He was like the father, as if it were, to God. He was the one leading. That's a relationship. Relationship with God is, is by becoming like him. Um, that's going to be the next story, I believe, that we're going to speak about. But, uh, actually, no. Yeah, we'll get there. Probably two more stories. Um... But uh, the, the ultimate goal is, is, to, is to do that, is to become like God so you can have a relationship with Him. But joy is a necessity for that as well. Joy is a necessity for that as well. Did that, that clear it up? Yeah, I mean, I just figured um, the action of taking responsibility and, I guess, practicing, you know, your, I guess you could call it your human function or emulating God by taking responsibility would essentially lead to joy because that is what right. man almost would ultimately aspire to is right. by taking responsibility by oh by you know challenging the obstacle by winning by you know by beating the day there's, def there's definitely truth be, to that they will be um, rewarded with happiness yeah. there's definitely truth to that and there's definitely an element of joy that does come from a person taking responsibility however that is more of I don't want to say pop psychology but that is more of a, psycho a psychological a more of an approach to life from a psychology perspective whereas Judaism actually says it's the reverse yeah. the joy should come first yeah. and through joy that will enable you to take responsibility it's a happy person that wants to make a difference in the world a miserable person just wants to just gripe about the world a difference. Happy people just make difference. Unhappy people just make noise. They're not promised. Avram make a promise to Sarah also? No. Just, I'm going to pause this for that one. Yesterday. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so the idea of the overtime values change or, or... No. You should constantly, and that was last week's class, you should constantly question your values to make sure they are correct. So yes, the answer is... No, you should constantly question your values to make sure they are correct. Right. That's different than what you said. Your values do not change. Never be kept they true. become better or more. Like they should only become more solidified with life experiences. Okay. But never should they change. Because okay. if, if they change, then retroactively what you only thing you did was realize that you were mistaken to begin with. Right, so you can realize your mistake. Oh, yeah, but your values you didn't change. Your value, no, tshuva is different. Tshuva is, I realize that my actions are not in congruence with my values. That's true. <laughs> but your current values. No, my values. My values. My values of my children hopefully will not change. But how can you not adopt new values? I think that, like, values aren't we're, we're fixed. Not, we're, we're not, no, they are! <laughs> 
we're, we must we're, let's we're, define values. Okay. Maybe we're maybe we're arguing on something that's yeah. different. Values are very simple. The definition of values are right and wrong. Period. That's values. Right. Values is not values is not no I, I, I love baseball and apple pie. No, having <laughs> That's not values. I believe is, is okay now. But, but that's because you're a single immature male with hormones flying okay. through your body. That's not because your values are going to change. That's because you're mistaken. But as of, as of in, in a specific moment of time... <laughs> No! That no! So no, we're not, we're not. So retroactively, retroactively, you will either come to the following conclusion. Okay. That I was mistaken. Okay. Or I believe that I was right then and I'm right now. That for then, that was values, and for now, that's my values. Well, in the Wait, former, in the former, what you're saying is I've realized that I was mistaken. My values didn't change. I realized that I had mistaken values. I'm not playing semantics here. Listen okay. very carefully. I, I, I see what you're saying. I, see. I realized that I had the mistaken value. It's not that my values changed. Because values change means, well, that was my value then and this is my value now. And if I would ask, and if you would ask me, well, what should a 20-year-old single male with hormones running through his body and he's not married, he has nothing, what should he think? Oh, he should think, he should think that he should have premarital sex because that's right for that man because that's my values then and this is my values now. That's the definition of values changing. That's nonsense because all that's saying is what? There are no values. That's all that's saying. Values don't change you might come to a realization that you were mistaken about your values. So then how do you rectify that situation? If later you realize that you were mistaken 20 years ago, yeah. how would you then go about rectifying? Because I, I don't know, I just heard on the radio, the reason I bring that up is I heard on the radio today there was some Republican who was brought to light that he wrote a thesis about how um, X, Y, and Z is detrimental to American society. And he's completely changing it. Now he's completely changing it. Oh, when I wrote it, I was under the influence of these teachers and this professor at that university. And I believe now that everything is, you know, actually strengthens Look, the family. The problem with politics, that's, you're asking a whole separate question. The problem with politics is that, that poli the, 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 the political sphere has so many contradictions in it. That, that it's unbelievable. But the problem, one of the main problems in, in the contradictions that exist in the political sphere is, is that there is no room for change in terms of a person acknowledging mistakes and growing from them. People want their politicians, people, the public, the American public, this is on tape, so, but the American public are very... No, I resumed it because I, I thought we were asking some good questions. <laughs> I was like, oh, I missed all that. The American public, no, 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 good what I mean, like Torah topics that are in touch. This is Torah, but it's not in, in, with what we were discussing. The American public, no, there's not. The American public is similar to a child that resents his parents. What do I mean by that? Every child has to come to a realization one day that his parents... We're not perfect. Every child has to come to that realization that his parents were not perfect. Okay? Now, everyone in this room is probably nodding, with the exception of Jason, of course, because he's on the spot here. But everyone in the room is probably nodding to themselves, of course my parents aren't perfect. Right? What do you mean come to the realization that my parents aren't perfect? Are your parents perfect? No, everyone knows their parents aren't perfect. No, 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 no. That's not the point. Everyone has to come to the realization that their parents weren't perfect and stop resenting them for that. See, everyone knows their parents aren't perfect, but yet everyone walks around thinking that they should have been perfect. Everyone's walking around. Every single one of us is walking around thinking that my dad should have done this and my mom should have been this way and my parents should have treated me that way. And they should. We walk around thinking our parents should have been perfect. We know they're not, but they should have been, so we resent them for it. Why couldn't they have been perfect? All we have to do, though, if we want to become mature adults, is stop and come to the realization that they never could have been perfect. So stop resenting them for not being perfect. 
It's the same with the American public. We all know that politicians are corrupt and evil and, and, and human. Forget the corrupt ones. Just the actually well-intended ones. We actually know that they're human and they're fallible, but yet we resent them for it. And therefore, there's no opportunity for them, therefore, to actually do what you're discussing and to wake up one day and just come to the public. And you know how refreshing it would be? It would be so refreshing if they would just come to the public and just say, you know what? I've made mistakes. I've made mistakes. And I'm human. I've made mistakes. I've learned from those mistakes, thankfully. And you know what? That paper that you're referring to, that was when I was young and naive. And I really, really thought that that was what was best for America. But let me show you why I don't think that that's what's best for America. I've changed my understanding. I was mistaken then, and now I realize my mistakes. But we don't give them out that opportunity because we expect them to be perfect, and we resent them when they're not. It's a problem. It's a big problem. Um, would you consider this? I'm sorry, and that's why, and it, it's a cyclical, it's a cyclical thing, and that's why they do everything in their power to cover up their mistakes. It's, it's unbelievable. They do everything in their power to cover it up. Oh my God! If this gets out, I'm ruined. I'm ruined if this gets out. So, so in the end, what happens is it gets out, and they are ruined. <laughs> well, would you consider those, um, like we were like talking about values changing or not? The values that have sort of misguided you or did not seem to stick or like discontinue at some point where you adopt new ones, are those not even considered values to begin with? Are they just mistakes? Depends. It's a little too vague because, again, sometimes we get confused with values, and I, I was facetious there, but sometimes we get confused with values being, you know, baseball and apple pie and real issues of life. You know, sometimes sometimes we really think values are as... Are as are as trivial as where we eat our burgers. I mean, it's, you know, especially your age. You know, that's not too long ago where you you guys would get passionate about where you go for your burger, where you go for your beer, where you get your nachos. That's not values. That's not values. So it depends. It depends on what it is. But the first step is the first step when we're discussing values now where we're very, you know, these are all subcategories of what we're discussing, but we're, we're off topic from the idea of, of being a man. Being a man means what are you willing to die for? That's value. But the first step is, is to ask yourself, okay, what am I willing to die for? That's on a broad scale. When we're discussing values, the first step is we must come to the realization that values are constant, not changing whatsoever. I change, values don't change. Because if values change, then there are no values. Do you choose your own values? No. See, the, the, I think the confusion is... No. I think the confusion is that you're using the word values and morality. They're one of the same. See, because I can say that like my values and a suicide bomber's values are different. And that was, I think that's what everybody's like, associating with values. Like My values and some Muslim suicide bomber's values are different because they believe... What, like what their beliefs, beliefs okay, in right and fine. But you can but what you're trying to say is that there's universal morality. That's correct. That's correct. That is what I'm saying. That is what I'm saying. Now, if you wanted to say, well then what's the distinction between values and morality? Okay, I have a distinction for that. That's the hierarchy, the prioritization of my of my morality. That's the difference. The difference, if you wanted me to pin me down and say, well, then what's the difference between the two words? Right now, I'm using them synonymously. But if you wanted me to say, well, then is there a difference between them? There is. Morality is just a blanket statement, right and wrong. Values is, okay, what's the hierarchy? Where do I prioritize my right and wrong? Right. And, but the, the, the thing is, I think that we're all associating with that the concept is that different people are going to put a different hierarchy on, the, on that morality. Yeah, they are. So, the, so that's and, why and, we're saying and, that. And, and that's why I'm going to answer him and say, that's, mis that's mistaken. Because that's just a, that's a white lie. It's the same thing as a white lie. It's a gradation of, of insanity. What? That just, to, to say, well, that, okay, fine, I agree that morality can't change, but my values, that, that's, that oh. can change, and, and, and I can pick my values, and you can pick your values, because now we're talking about the hierarchy. Well, that's just a, that's a white lie. It's a gradation of that insanity because your value should stay just as constant. 
your prioritizations should stay just as constant. And I know you might answer me and say, well, that can't be, Rabbi. How can I prioritize family when I don't have family? Well, that's not, that's not, a, that's not, a, that's not a contradiction, what I'm saying. That if you were to put down a list of prioritizations of your values, family has its place on that list. It just so happens you don't have a family yet, so you're going to step over that one for now. But because it is on the hierarchy, you know what you should be doing? Looking for a family. <laughs> and this way, instead of having the premarital sex, you're like, well, I got to fill in that blank there. But as long as I can have premarital sex, well, then that means, oh, yeah, oh, look at that. I flipped my prioritization. How convenient. <laughs> look how convenient that was. Wow. No problem. All right, mom's getting on my case. She wants grandkids. All right, I'll bump it up a notch. Look, mom, I got to steady now. <laughs> it's just convenient. That's a, it's, a, it's a bastardization of that. Yeah. What do you think? Of I wasn't that? attacking you. <laughs> the same, but it, I'm, I'm making a point. You just happened to bring that one up. What do you think of existentialism? <laughs> like you know, what do you think of creationism? I mean, it's, it's too. It's, you got to be a little more specific. Or do you, do you think it's just? Uh, In what context? I mean, do you think uh, it's just? Okay, like it's, uh, <laughs> uh, let's turn it off. All right, classes, classes, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, classes officially.